Get the next 10 weeks of The Spectator in print and online for just £1. There's no commitment and you can cancel at any time. But hurry, because this offer runs for a week only. Go to spectator.co.uk forward slash sale. Welcome to the Saturday edition of Coffee House Shots. I'm Cindy Yu and I'm joined by Fraser Nelson and James Forsyth. So Fraser, you've written a very interesting column in The Telegraph this week, not looking at the Queen's domestic impact, but her impact across the world. Tell us about what you found. Well, there's a number of countries where the Queen is not head of state, but have nonetheless observed days of mourning. India, for example, 1.4 billion people had had a day of mourning with all official events cancelled. Now, this is a country where Modi is quite often railing against the British Empire, renaming roads, etc. So it's not exactly nostalgic for the days of empire, but nonetheless held a day of mourning, as did Lebanon, as did Brazil. And we've been looking at the New York Times as the mean coverage of what's going on here, but the American people in general are very different. There have been minute silence held at football matches. The chief exec of Apple was um, saying how the Queen embodied all of these virtues. And we might, you might have seen earlier on, when the Queen's coffin was flown from Edinburgh to London, there were 4.7 million people who watched that flight on Flight Tracker. And that was itself a sort of, a, I think it was record-breaking. But I dug into the numbers there and I found that almost half of them were overseas, mainly American or German or French. And this shows that to an extent that we hadn't quite expected, this isn't just a Commonwealth event, but a global event. You can also see it in the interviews of people queuing for the Queen right now as a lion state. You can see how a moved British subjects might wait there for 12 hours to pay their respect. But when you look in the queues, there are people from other countries who want to pay their respects anyway. So we've been talking to a few of them in recent days, and here's a clip from what they've got to say. It's kind of my pleasure to come into this event and my pleasure to see Her Majesty talk. I'm originally from the Czech Republic. I live in England for 18 years and today I'm in London to pay the tribute to the Queen. I started queuing at 5 o'clock in the morning from the Czech people where I come from. The monarchy is something unusual for us, so that's probably the reason why we are keen to, why we are interested in it because we're from Hong Kong and as many people will know that um, Hong Kong used to be um, managed yeah, by um, British. So um, to many of us, uh, we born before the 97, the Queen's actually means a lot mm-hmm. to us. I'm from one of the Commonwealth countries, Sri Lanka. And uh, today I, I am here in order to pay my last respect to the Her Majesty, the Queen Elizabeth II. I believe this is a privilege for me to come and uh, uh, give our uh, respect to her and to thank God for her faithful service uh, for the nation here in the UK as well as to the Commonwealth countries and uh, all over the world. I'm from um, Akron, Ohio. I've been in London three and a half years now. We, I believe that Americans feel about the Queen is the respect of how she unites the world in peace and her traditions and also her um, work ethic, all of those things that are very important. And this, I think, speaks to 
the magic of monarchy. I mean, the power, as I've mentioned a few times, is a very strange bond between sovereign and the people. But there is an even more stranger, if you ask me, but still quite palpable bond between the Queen and people in the rest of the world. We've had people there explaining you know, why they felt moved to it, but you can see this. The funeral on Monday, there was an expectation that's going to be watched by 4.1 billion. That's one figure I saw. That is like half of humanity. So that would make it the most watched event in world history. So what we're seeing here is more than just a country mourning its monarch, more than just a commonwealth mourning its head of state. We are seeing almost half of a planet look to the funeral of somebody who was, in Emmanuel Macron's words, not just our queen, but the queen. James, what do you put this global outreach down to? Is it just how long she has been in the throne for, such that people you know, younger than her will always have thought that she was the British queen? Or is it something particularly British about it, some remnant of empire perhaps? What do you think it is? So I think it's a combination of factors. I think one is that she has been on the throne for 70 years. There is, there is no equivalent figure anywhere else in the world right now who has been part of international public life for so long. Second, I think that there is still a mystery about her. There's still so much that you don't know about her. So she has both been a celebrity, for want of which is not the right word, but also there is still this sense of people don't know about her. And then thirdly, I think there obviously is the reach that she has because of culture. You know, as Fraser says in his Telegraph column, you know, the, the royal family might, may not like the crown. But, you know, no one's going to make the crown about, you know, the Saud, the House of Saud, for example. Or if so, it did, it would look more like Narcos Mexico than a studying character. Right? Yeah, and so I think there are these combination of things. I also think there is this, which is, obviously not totally, but you can almost tell in some ways the history of the... You can certainly tell large parts of the history of the 20th century and the first bit of the 21st century through the Queen's life. The, you know, the people she's met, the places she's visited, you know, her role, you know, in, in decolonization, And so I think that, that is how you, you can construct it. But I also think a lot of it comes down to her personality too and a tenderness and a care for what the country she was visiting would think. A typical example of the sensitivity, that, that, that state visit to Ireland where she says a few words in Irish at the beginning of her speech. Kind of, these are things that meant a lot in the places where she went. And I mean, that, that meant that she had a personal standing that was frankly higher than Britain's standing in the world. Actually, I've been watching the Queen's visit to China in 1986. She was the first British monarch to go to China and there she met China's then leader, Deng Xiaoping. And we can hear a little bit of it here. A test of her diplomatic abilities came at a lunch she hosted for Deng Xiaoping, the veteran and energetic communist leader. Please accept the warm greeting and respect from an old Chinese man. And apparently at that state dinner that was held a bit later, the Queen noticed that Deng Xiaoping was itching and just kind of shifting around at dinner a little bit. And she realised that he is actually a smoker. And so by noticing that, she said to him, you know, you, you can you can light up <laughs> if you would like. And he was very much more put at ease. So I think, you know, what's 
striking Fraser is how even countries without monarchies or countries that overthrew their imperial families have this kind of understanding of what at least the Queen, but possibly also more widely the British monarchy is all about. Well, certainly they have an interest in it. It's funny that Macron, of course, probably summed this up better than anybody in saying that she was the Queen. We heard then from Americans in the queue as well. There are still, in this great diverse world of ours, people who are admired the world over. When Nelson Mandela died, for example, there were, I think, 120, 130 heads of state at his funeral. There aren't that many figures in the world who could command that level of global respect. And I think the Queen's popularity at home was because she was so apolitical, because she learnt to keep her opinions to herself. It was very difficult to dislike her for any reason. It made it a lot easier to agree upon her as a model of a record of service. And I think what we're now appreciating is the extent that was true globally as well as nationally. Yeah, I think you see this in two different ways. So Angela Merkel was so keen to see the Queen, partly because of all the people the Queen had seen. If you'd been on the throne for 70 years, if you'd been a player in international affairs for 70 years, you have met a whole host of people. Just, you know, to anyone interested in, in people and personalities, it is fascinating to meet someone who has met so many people. And then the second point, which I think you see with Macron, is, you know, because the Queen stood above politics, if you are finding it difficult, to put it mildly, to get along with the British government of the day, as I think it is reasonably fair to say that Emmanuel Macron found with, with Boris Johnson, and you know him and Liz Truss haven't exactly got off on the best start, given what, what she said during the leadership campaign, the Queen was a way that you could say that your relations with Britain remained strong, even if your relations with the government at the time were difficult. I think if 30, 40 years ago you'd said to someone that the, the Irish government would be trying to say, well, look, implicitly in what the Taoiseach is saying, why can't the British government be more like the Queen? We all would have thought this was a very odd statement considering the, the history between, between Britain and Ireland. And so I think you see this dynamic. And also I think that she changed the nature of gatherings by her presence. I mean, you talk to people who are at the G7 down in Cornwall and, you know, what was the most relaxed part of it? This is obviously, you gather that many world leaders together. It is a jostling collection of egos. But, you know, that dinner where there were three generations of the royal family there and the Queen was obviously hosting it, you know, everyone describes that as the most relaxed occasion of that kind of summitry that they can remember. Because somehow, I think the people, A, feel part of history, and also this person, if you think about it from, from the point of view of everyone in that room, she had met their predecessors, not just their predecessor, but one, but their predecessor going back, just a huge number. And I think that changes the tone of an occasion. Well, Fraser, if that is a huge part of her appeal, what will King Charles do? Because he is going to be very new in the role. He doesn't have the same kind of experience as the Queen did. Does that change? Will that change how he is received? I think that remains to be seen. He's obviously a more controversial figure than the Queen because so much more is known about the opinions of which he has divested himself quite liberally over the decades. And the moment that you come down on one side of a controversial debate, you alienate the other side. And that's something the Queen chose not to do before she took the throne. Mind you, she didn't have very much of her life to do that. But the other thing that strikes me about this is the potential, not just for 
world leaders coming to pay their respects, but also the potential for burying the hatchet. I mean, you can bet that Putin, who wasn't invited, would have loved to have been. But there's also been this controversy about um, Xi Jinping, whether he should be invited. Uh, James Cleverly, the Foreign Secretary, said he hadn't been. Of course, he had been. Everybody with whom Britain has friendly foreign relations is invited. And, of course, the what we've seen now is the Speaker of the House of Commons, Lindsay Hoyle, kicking out the Chinese delegation from paying their respects to the coffin, which seems extraordinary. But what I was actually wanting to ask you, Cindy, you were saying that who China has sent for the funeral is of significance. Yeah, so China is set on sending Wang Qishan, who is a vice president of China. He is the man who Xi Jinping trusted to do the anti-corruption drive, one of his flagship policies. I mean, his first flagship policy as soon as he came into government 10 years ago. But actually, the two men go way back. They first met in the Cultural Revolution when both of them, Wang Qishan was 25 and Xi was 20 at the time, sent down to the countryside by Chairman Mao. And they were both made to do really gruelling manual labour. And that's when they first met. And it seems to be a bond that has lasted throughout their adult life. One has been pictured patting C on the back, for example, a kind of informality that would be shocking to see from anyone else with the leader of China. So, so Xi Jinping could have got away with sending, I don't know, like a standard diplomat. But a terrible sent, waxwork. But, 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 but what you're saying is that he sent one of his... Most he sent his most, uh, one of his most trusted uh, lieutenants. Oh, we can read into that what? Well, I think it's a sign of respect, actually. I think the Chinese, you know, for all this talk about wolf warriors, the Chinese have behaved very in a very dignified way over the last week. On Friday, Xi was amongst the world leaders to send his condolences to the UK. Li Keqiang, the premier, sent his condolences to Liz Trust as those government-to-government links. Wang Xishan has been to the British embassy in, in Beijing to sign a book of condolences, and now he's coming over here on Sunday. So... I've been struck by, and let's go back to my question to you, Fraser, which is about why this communist nation cares so much about the Queen. I think it's because they realise, A, that she has been around for so long, so important to even China's journey of opening up, but also, B, because they understand how important she is to the UK, and they are, in this circumstance, not being crass or warfory about it. But, as you mentioned, it seems like some British MPs are more keen on being warfarious this time round. Do you see the Chinese gesture as conciliatory, do you? Not necessarily conciliatory, but just in good taste. You know, they know the gravitas of the moment. I'm not entirely related, but I'm still interested to hear what you say as I quickly turn the tables on you in this podcast. <laughs> uh, you know, the MSG made a rare trip out of Beijing this week, first time he's been out since the pandemic. He went to this Kazakh conference where he met Putin, and Putin said to him, yes, I know your concerns about Ukraine. Interesting, that suggests the two of them had sort of cross words about it. So what are we to read into that? Is China... Does China want it to be known that it's admonishing Putin over what's happening in Ukraine? Well, I think China's always been lukewarm about the invasion. They've never condemned Russia for it. And in terms of rhetoric, they've been very belligerent against the Western reaction about it and all of this stuff, going back to the war of warriors. But when you look at the facts, the war is not good business for China if it's going to be long and dragged out, which seven months on, it looks like it is, especially coming as this meeting came after this amazing Ukrainian counteroffensive last weekend. So Xi is having to contend with rising inflation around the world, rising energy prices. China has business interests, billions of dollars of business interests every year in Ukraine, which it can't continue. And its partners in Central Asia, like Kazakhstan, are worried about a similar Russian encroachment into Central Asia. Because, you know, if you're post-Soviet state, nobody is safe right now. And so it's not basically good for business. And I think as much as China will not ever condemn Russia, 
because it will want to have Russia on side. You can see this power dynamic, which is complete opposite to the Soviet years, where China is now the big dog and it can tell Russia, well, look, guys, you know, what you're doing here is not convenient for us and we are going to make it known. Cindy and James, thank you very much for joining me in this podcast. <laughs> thank you, Fraser. Thank you, Fraser.